Hello. I don't know if all of you realize it, but we have been together on this webcast for 250 hours. That's a lot of talking and a lot of listening. And I, I believe that it has been a tremendous blessing to countless numbers of you. Well, I want to announce at this time that this webinar, following in a moment, will be the last webinar of the weekly series. That is, we will no longer have a weekly webinar. There will be special webinars um, every so many weeks, and you will be told of them uh, in enough time to arrange your schedule. But this is the last time we'll meet on a weekly basis. The reason is that opportunities that are, and the only word I can say is vast, uh, and there's multiple opportunities within the opportunities, and it demands at this point my total attention. And I believe that in so doing, it will release a blessing to the world that we've not been able to give in times past. And you will be a recipient of that whenever that time comes. But for now, I have to give myself to preparing and making uh, these videos that will be part of something, something very great. And I ask for your prayers and your understanding on that matter. And so, it has been wonderful to have this weekly visit. We will now be having a visit uh, every few weeks. And there will be other videos posted and you will hear all about them. So we're not going away. It's just that our time together is somewhat changing. So, in that, again I say, pray for us, bless us and you will be blessed. The Lord be with you, everyone. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Um, before I get to my text, I want to just sort of prepare the ground. Um, I, I find in the last few weeks, actually, this, this what I'm going to say tonight, arises out of um, conversations and uh, attempts at counseling over the last few weeks. Uh, persons who are in, shall I say, desperate states, those where it seems that their world is caving in, where it seems everything they're walking on is disappearing underneath them, in times of great pressure, times of great darkness, and out of it comes the cry, why me? And, oh God, where are you? And the, the answer to that, the, the answer, uh, and so many times when you meet such people, you want to be totally sympathetic. But we cannot be sympathetic when a person is drowning in a swamp and you know the answer out. It's time for action. And what we are lacking, when that happens and we have that reaction to it, what has happened is we have forgotten who we are. We've forgotten our identity. In fact, our identity often at that time comes from aeons prior to our birth. Look, I, I think I might have referred to this before, but I'll never forget it, so I'll throw it in here, that when I... Um, came over here from the UK uh, and my green card had my picture. Well, I was a young fellow in my early 20s in that picture. I had, in those days, we called it a brush cut. I don't know if they do today, but they cut almost all your hair off and it just brushes up. And I had my boyish little face and there I was on my green card and that was not changed and not changed, and not changed. And many years later, as I was coming in from some part of the world through New York, and, and the immigration officer looked at my card for a long time, and then he looked at me and looked back at the card, and then he said, you've come a long way, baby. And um, 
told me it's the time I got a new photograph and updated my identity because who I truly was at that moment was in no way reflected on that card. And when I presented my identity, it no longer looks like me. And I find that there are all too many believers. In fact, I'll be honest, more than I had estimated, too many believers who, though they would say amen to much that the grace of God announces to them, when the walls begin to cave in and when the earth begins to open up beneath us, there is a return to an identity that is long out of date. It no longer is who you are. It is time to get our identity, to, to look at this reality of who we truly are. And I want to read a text that is apropos for this. It is in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7. And I'll begin in verse 7, though we're not going to talk too much there. But this is the context. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man or what parent... Is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, and our Bible has being evil, it better be uh, being imperfect. You're human with all human imperfections. If you then, being imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And what I want to zero in on is, is that where Jesus identifies us. He said that uh, Father gives good gifts. And why is he giving good gifts? Because he is the good Father. And so the good father and you, his child, his children, receive of him good gifts. Good father giving to his beloved children good gifts. And Jesus underscores it that that is the way it is. He's speaking of a relationship. Relationship of children to father, father to children. And Right there in the center of that relationship, he describes it as good. Let me say again that it has amazed me in these last weeks at the number of people, some who even would subscribe to saying that God is love, and yet when we press it to say God is good, then the barriers come up and the butts and the raised eyebrows and the suspicion on faces. God is good. And Jesus is making it very plain that this is not a confused issue. He says, if you human parents, and you're imperfect, that is, our best human is shot through with selfishness of some kind. We're shot through with lack of true knowledge. And, and with all our limitedness and our boundaries. But yet, he, yet, Jesus said, however imperfect you find yourself as a parent, that you know if your child is asking for bread, you do not give him a, a, a plate of stones. That is, you give a good gift, and the good gift is understood to be good by the child who receives it. If he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a writhing snake on his plate. No, you will give him a gift that the child, the receiver, will understand as good, that has met the need that was expressed. I say that because there are many, many, who believe that God's goodness is sort of, shall I say, another language, sort of a bizarre language, incomprehensible to us wretched humans. 
Oh, no, they say, God is good, but when he gives his good gifts, it doesn't look like it. And so they tell us that God gives us these gifts of sickness, disease, and, and always diseases that rot away your body from TB to cancer. Oh, that's the gift of God. Yes, I'm not making this up. This is not a caricature. There has been imprinted in our Western church this idea that when God says good, he doesn't mean what we mean by good. He's got another vocabulary. He works out of another thesaurus. So when you come to God's table, um, <laughs> pull yourself together because you're probably about to get a plate of stones when you ask for bread because he thinks that's good. That, that is not utterly insane, but that is a damnable lie that spews out of the mouth of the snake himself, even though it came through the church. No, God's goodness, we understand it. When he says good, he's using human vocabulary, and it means what it means, good good gifts. And he is saying that even though you are imperfect and limited, when your child asks for something, you, you give a good gift. And however poor that may be, in the grand scheme of things, yet it is a valid reflection of the goodness of the heart of your father who unlimitedly perfectly gives good gifts. Ah, but someone says, you know, I, 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 I had the cancer and that's where I met God. It was a gift from God. Now, let, let's be very careful. You met with God because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes. Don't confuse the Holy Spirit with cancer. No, he met you in your pain. He met you in that moment of mental, emotional darkness and terror. That's where he met you and gave you the good gift of insight into his heart. The, the, the cancer or whatever it was, the hurricane, the, the breaking apart of your life, that was not a good gift from God. But God in his great goodness met you there and gave you a good gift. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Others I've heard, they, they talk about, well, this is my cross to bear. Oh, how long have you been listening? How long? There's only one cross upon which Jesus died carrying you with him. And that cross is empty and defeated for he rose out of death carrying you with him. And to carry my cross is to pick up that finished work of Christ and say, Amen, I am there with him and in him. Please, if you want to be piously miserable, don't blame a cross. Okay, just admit you're miserable. And others say, well, he's chastising me. That's because you haven't understood what the word means or what the scripture says. The word chastising means correction. And the church has told us in past decades that that means he's going to give you all manner of pain and accidents and tragedies. He's chastising you. How many times I've heard preachers with a terrible, gleeful look on their face, he'll take you to the woodshed. What kind of a God do you worship? Read the scripture. His correction and his chastising is bringing the Word of God to bear upon your life where you are right now. And that can, that can hurt. Yes, chastising does. It hurts to discover everything I believed has got something wrong. Sometimes it's been very hurtful to hear that God loves you, isn't it? It's turned your world upside down. That was a blessed chastising. See, correction. In fact, that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to correct. I'm about to chastise you. How? With the Word of God. And to bring that Word to the changing of your life. God is good. And I dare to say that the problems you face in terms of the pain they cause, in terms of the 
fear and sometimes the sheer terror of being in the place you are is because you're not sure if God is good. There's a suspicion, you see. There's, there's a, a wonderment. There, there's the half an idea that the real God is somewhere behind Jesus. And he, he, if he pops his head out, it looks like a dragon. Um, there, there, there's the idea that, that God really is into hurting people. Do you know where that came from? This is where our ID, our religious identification comes from. That ID that says that God is not altogether good. He's got a dark side to him and you never know when it will pop out. And, and, and then I'm, I'm the, the one who's being beaten up and that's how I define my life, by my circumstances. I, my creed, what I believe is in terms of what's happening to me. Do you know where that came from? It came from somewhere between the 9th and maybe 13th century. They called it the Dark Ages. And the darkness of those ages was 100%, historically speaking, 100% because of religion. Those ages of utter darkness when the church of the Western world was corrupt to the rotten core, where it had lost all understanding and vision of the beauty and the light and the love majesty of Jesus. That's when they came up with this and twisted, blackened the face of God to be a monster that treated his children the very opposite to what Jesus said. No, let us once and for all throw away, cast from us, that vile identity that we are the beaten up children of God and to realize He is good. He is a good, good Father. And we are His children beloved upon whom He showers His good, good gifts. What is the goodness of God? It's rather difficult to give an exact definition um, I, I tell you this, the goodness of God, shall I say, is His excellence, His majesty, that which distinguishes Him far above all. You could say the goodness of God is the glory of God. Uh, and uh, the, the Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, do you remember Moses uh, craved to see the glory of God, to see into the very heart of God. And, and so he petitioned the Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, this is very important. Well, I'll read the whole lot. Verse 18, then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And he, the Lord said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. So the Lord equated His glory, His radiance, His splendor. When we stand in awe and wonder before that outraying of love, goodness, He called that glory, goodness. And so we, we are not speaking, you see, of an occasional characteristic. Goodness is not an occasional characteristic of God. God is good. If you read through the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, um, especially, well, even in 1 Chronicles, but then in the Psalms, you, you will hear this. It's sort of a tolling bell that echoes through the history of God's people that the Lord is good. And his loving kindness extends to the ages of ages. He is good. He is good. Speaking of his very essence, his being. So, so what do we mean then? We mean that in him there is no guile. He's, he's good, you see. He's good. And so there's no hypocrisy. He's not two-faced. He doesn't speak with forked tongue. 
In him there is no darkness. As First John says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all, which means there is no cruelty. Let this sink in. This is God who is good. There is no malice in him. There is and cannot be any revenge. There's no lie or corruption. He is the unchangeable truth. So I say he's good in his essence. And therefore in his essential being, it is one of the divine cannots. He cannot He's incapable of hurting you and inflicting pain upon you as some good gift. He is righteous. He's always true to himself. He is kind. He is faithful. He is gentle. He is generous to the unlimited. For he is good. And all those words and ideas give us little insights into what this word means. He's a good father. And and Romans 8.28, well, we know that, but let me read it. We know that God, this God I'm talking about, the God, the real one, causes all things to work together for good. Think about that. To those who love God, called according to his purpose, then down in 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God, Paul is thinking out loud, if, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He is saying this, that you you have the standard, you have the measure. This is the goodness of God that he gave to us, his own son. Then, in that case, how shall he not cascade upon us all things? that are good. He is good. Are are you getting that point? He is good, which means it's the way he forever is. Or an expression I've been using in these last weeks to help you understand these things. He owns his goodness. Are you getting to understand that? He owns it which means he is good. He is good before you even showed up, before you had a chance to do anything good or bad, before you even thought of the idea of buying some goodness from God by some action you would take, before any idea of bargaining with God that you would do this if he would do that. He is good. He owns it. So you can't buy it. He owns it's his goodness, and therefore you cannot bargain with him either to get it or to refuse it. You're out of the picture, you see. He is good, and he is good to you because he is good, not because you've earned it or deserved it. Or as you hear so many people say, you know, he was such a good man. Well, please cut it out. God loves us not because he was a good man or you're a good woman. He loves you because he is good and you is. And therefore, he loves you. Or I could put it this way. God is good to you because of who he is, not because of anything you've done or planned to do or promised to do. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't deserve it. It flows. It flows almost, I dare to say, wastefully. That is, he squanders his goodness upon us. The word is used in the Scripture to describe so many different things that I'll just attempt to 
give you yet a further picture of what this word is. It describes life in its fullest creativeness, that is, his life that, that pours into our created world in Genesis 1. And when he had made each part of creation, it says that he, he looked at it and said, it is good. That is, this is what I planned it to be. And it is fruitful. It is fertile. It's found its place within creation. It's good. And he brings to maturity. It's, it's good. That's what he does. Or to put it another way, he never gets tired of you. He never gives up on you. He never walks away distracted by something that looks more interesting. He, he doesn't have, what do they call it, ADHD. I mean, he, he, he's not always looking for something new to do when he's looking. No, he has given himself in totality to you, and he who began a good work in you will not quit until he has produced in you according to his blueprint. He's good. He's good. He's good. The word good is used to, to mean beauty and a harmony. It, it also is a word that is sometimes translated as pleasantness. It's the source of joy. You get the picture. It's good. And that's your God. The God who is beauty, the God who is harmony, the God who is pleasantness and joy and brings that into our lives. Goodness. The word is sometimes used, it's a valid translation of the word, to mean that he is perfectly fitted to us. Fitted. That is, he suits our needs right down to the last nail. Or, and I'm, again, I'm translating the word as it, it's in some lexicons, that he is for our advantage. Yeah, that, that's certainly true. It, it, it sounds wrong, I suppose, I could say. Uh, I, I, I'm finding hard to say it, but he is useful to us. He's to our advantage. But it isn't that we're using him but that he first gave himself to us. And we are overwhelmed by the good God who gave himself to us. Now, we have to understand that all of these texts and words concerning goodness really all sum up in Jesus for Jesus is God from God. You understand? Jesus is God the Son who takes to himself our humanity. And we know him as Jesus. But that means then that goodness himself became human flesh and bone and blood and lived and lives a human life, an authentic human life. He came to bring the goodness of God inside humanity, not merely to talk about it on the outside or to announce it into, but to actually assume our humanness so that goodness came inside of humanity. That's the incarnation. That's a big theological word that means God is with us. God, the fullness of God. God without anything left out. That is, there's nothing left to discover in terms of what God is like. Jesus is God inside our humanity. And John 1.18 says, This God who has become human now with our human lips and through a human mind, He now tells us what God is really like. No man has seen God at any time, says John 1.18. 
but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus, He is good among us. And what does that good look like? Luke 4, 18, let me read it. You know it, but this is goodness coming into our lives. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Jesus. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I, I, I really, have you ever thought of this? Gospel. What is gospel? When was the first time that word was used in the New Testament? I mean, it's, it's part of our religious vocabulary today, but when, when did it start? Luke chapter 2, I believe is verse 10, where the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a great joy, a babe born to a virgin mother lying in a horse trough in Bethlehem. Good news. That's the same word that we translate elsewhere as gospel. The word gospel that means the good, glad, merry news that makes a man leap for joy. And the angel was the first one to use that word in the New Testament. And he comes and he says, I bring you good news. It's good news that will inflame you with joy. And it's all centered in a babe who is none other than God who has come to be with us. He, he, he is the good news. And now he says he will preach it. He will proclaim out of the fullness of himself the good news. Proclaim then, release the captives, for this is the good news that does just that. Recovery of sight to the blind. Blind in heart, blind so they cannot see the truth of God, but good news. He comes to open our eyes and cause us to see, set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable, or could I say the good year of the Lord. It's Jesus. He is goodness who has come to take up residency inside our humanity. What did Peter say when he shared this with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 38? He says, you know about Jesus, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And so we could pull in there all the acts of compassion, all his forgiveness to just about every sector of society from some poor chap laying on a bed and he says, your sins are forgiven, to those who have been harassed by demons, probably prostitutes of the Galilean area, and all the way through to those who put the nails through his hands and feet again and again and again. He says, you are forgiven. Father, forgive them, forgive them, release them. And remember, that's God speaking. God speaking. He has come to show us what forgiveness looks like. It looks like healing sick people. Oh, I thought that was a gift from God. No, the gift is he heals the sick and calls the sickness an oppression of the devil. He brings wholeness. He teaches truth to those that have been beaten up by religion. He disperses the darkness goodness. That's what goodness is. In fact, and really this would be a good topic for another time, but you remember when defining Jesus, the Apostle John in John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then further down he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He calls Jesus the Word. Well, what is that? Well, it's the Greek word logos, and that word, okay, it does mean word, but can I say prior to being word, it means mind, it means the thoughts, the reasoning and logic of the mind, which come out in words. 
So what John is saying is that Jesus is the logic of God. Jesus is, is the mind and the thoughts of God toward you. Jesus is the reasoning, love, reasoning. Remember in Isaiah, he, he said, come let us reason together. Well, Jesus is the reasoning of God. He, he is God saying, let us sit down and talk. Let us look eyeball to eyeball. And of course, all of that comes out in the words and the very word of his being. Jesus is the beginning of a new mind in the human race. He is the beginning of a new flow of thoughts. They are the thoughts of God. The thoughts of God about God. And the thoughts of that God about you. And they hit the human race like an asteroid from outer space. Because the human race has been under the control of the thought and the mind of the flesh, which is the lie of Satan concerning God and concerning you. And now here comes the truth, the real mind of the Creator, now in the mind of Jesus the Christ. And we found that he thinks and reasons good thoughts about us. And we discover that his goodness is so good that he refused to be God without us and came and joined himself to us so that God to unending ages would always be joined to us in the person of Jesus. If that isn't the good, glad, merry news, I don't know what is. Oh, but there's more. For in Jesus came the Holy Spirit. Who is God? God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into us, joining us with the God who came into us. God with you, do you know who you are? The good God. Father and Son, through the Holy Spirit, now comes to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit is the actualizing of the goodness of God within us. The Holy Spirit is the energy, the personal energy of goodness, God goodness. He opens our eyes. He enlightens us and he strengthens us and empowers us and brings us to take of God's goodness and brings us to participate in that goodness. Have you ever thought of this? It's, it's a verse that really should be blazoned upon the doors of all our churches, but it sort of got lost. Romans 2, 4. He says, do, do you think lightly or carelessly of the riches, and that word riches, actually a loose translation would be filthy rich. It, it means rich beyond all sense of riches. The riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience. Do you not know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Oh, I... I I thought it was the threatening of God's judgment that led people to repentance. I, I, I've sat in many a meeting that seemed to go on forever while they sang all the verses of Just As I Am, in which they hung everybody over the judgment of God to get them to repent. Please, would somebody read this? It said it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. It is the fact that his love is without measure, without limit. It is that God valued us and, and said that we were worth God coming from God to enter into our pain and suffering and death. 
and bring us to himself. His goodness. When I see his goodness and his love. Well, the word repentance, which of course I've told you many times, that's another vile religious word. Repen means in, uh, in English to keep on doing penance. That's what it means in English. But the Greek word there means a revolutionary, radical exchange of mind. So it's the goodness of God that turns my mind upside down, inside out. Because I, you talk about correction. I, I now, God is good. God is love. He's not against me. He is limitlessly for me. God is good. That God himself has taken my sin, my curse, my death, delivered me and brought me into his love and light. Holy Trinity family. Then I had that radical exchange of mind. I begin to think about myself as God the Father thinks about me. And whenever he thinks of me, he thinks of me as absolutely one, united with Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that joins me then to the mind of Jesus and the mind of the Father. I have a change of mind. I don't see God anymore like I used to. I don't see myself as I used to. I don't see life as I used to. In fact, I sum up my life. Remember Psalm 23, 6? Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow. And that word I've told you before means to relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. Well, well, well. There you have it. There you have it. This, this is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Well, when I find myself in the midst of life, especially that midst of life that tends to anxiety and fears and confusions and stresses, how, how do I wake up? How do I, what can I say? How can I access? How can I lay hold upon this goodness? Incidentally, the first thing is to realize I don't have to scream for God to be good I'm not sending up SOS signals hoping that this life God, God will see me. No, he, he's here. He's now. He cannot leave you. He cannot forget, forsake you. He, he never has. He never will. He is. So how do I come out of this downward spiral into darkness and lay hold and have peace and rejoicing in this good God? Well, the first thing I would say, and this is not necessarily like one, two, three, it's not a formula, but just talking to you right now, the first thing is stop. I mean, stop. There is that, it's like the zoo at feeding time. The voice is in your head, and around and around they go, and it's insanity, but you let it go on. That, that if this happens, then that will happen, and then this will happen, and then that will happen, and around and around and around, and, and then we're back, and if only I'd said that, if only that hadn't have happened, if only, and then we go and say, why God, why God, why God, why me? Stop! Or the scripture says, be still, and know that I am God. Know it in this moment. I'm not asking you to think of the next moment or the last moment, but just right now, the God who is good is with you. He's in you. He's under you and above you, ahead of you and behind you. Stop. Be still and know that I am God, he said. Because, you see, he is your anchor in the storm. Now this sounds daft when you say it, but when, when you're in a storm, you don't throw your anchor to try and find stability in a wave. You, you follow me? Here are the waves and they're battering your boat. 
Well, you don't take your anchor to say, I'm, I'm going to try and, and anchor myself to that wave. That's stupid. Yeah, but we do it in life. We, we define God by what's happening to us. If God was good, then he wouldn't let this happen. But you, you hold it. You're defining God. You're throwing your anchor into a circumstance and say, this is where I stand. No. God is good. The circumstances are caused by people. Circumstances come upon us by people, actually, uh, many times, who are agents of the dark. They, they are agents of the liar, many times. And many times it, it, it's weather. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with who God is. Don't, don't, don't throw your anchor into a passing wave that's about to hit you. No. Anchor yourself in the being of God and trust who He is even though the circumstances right now you cannot understand, at least understand what he has revealed, that he is God and he is good and his love and goodness are upon you. It's, you see, in these situations we're talking about, we walk off the end of our map have you ever done that? It's kind of scary. I, I've done it many times now. But the first time I did it, I, I was with a pastor in Oregon. And he, he was one of those outdoor chaps. Well, I'm, I'm not. My, my idea of a, a camping trip is Marriott, you know, down by the Riverwalk. It's... Um, I, I'm not into that pitching your tent and while the ants bite and you listen to the bears. No, um, I, I've had to do that many, many, many times, but it's not my idea of fun. And, and, and now the pastor, after I'd preached on Sunday, he said, now I've got a special thing. We're going to go up into the Cascade Mountains and I've got you a horse. Oh, good grief. And, and he said, there's a tent, and we're, we're going to go up there for a few days. And there's a bunch of men, and one of them, he, he really knows the mountains. And so off we go. You know those moments. And, and, and we go, and I mean, it's beautiful, but I'm thinking more of the, the nightmare of sleeping up here somewhere. And, and then we come to a sign on the side of the path, such as the path was, and the sign says, you are now leaving a map zone. Beyond this sign, there are no maps. There are no rangers. Basically, the United States government was telling me, if you're insane, you're going to keep walking because we have no maps. We've never been here. We've never mapped. We don't have it patrolled. That's when the other chaps, they, they got excited. And we, we, we went past that sign, and at that moment, we stepped off the map. I mean, previous to that, we had maps. Do you remember those things? Long before GPS and all that, we used to have paper maps. Do you remember that? I, and you had to read them and, and decide, well, I'm here, and I've got to get there, and could go there. And Well, we had the maps, but now we put them away because they're of no more use. We've stepped off the map. And we now turn to that fellow that knew the mountains. He was sort of a guide, but he'd been here many, many times, actually lived up there for some time. And so we were no longer trying to read a map, no longer trying to figure out where we were, what's going on. It all changed radically, but it just changed as the thing changed. We now trusted in him we trusted in his faith to get us somewhere and bring us back and we trusted in his wisdom to do it and that was the end of the matter we no longer were trying to read a map and trying to figure out we threw away the maps and we trusted a man and in so doing we trusted his faith and in trusting his faith, we had that same faith. 
We, we became confident we would go and we'd come back and this man would do it. He was the map. He had become the map. And we were no longer trying to figure out, but we were trusting. That's really where you're at right now. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop all those stupid if, 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 if only, what if. Forget it. You are anchored in God and God himself in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the way. He is goodness and goodness will lead you all the days of your life. But it's a matter of trusting him. It's a matter then of uniting with his faith who said, he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ. You trust him. You trust his wisdom to carry you through that which you have no idea where you are or why you are carried through. Focus on the truth. Stop focusing on all the bad things that happen. Stop focusing on all the waves and the winds and the earthquake and everything else. And focus on the fact that you in Christ, he is your guide of goodness through this impassable way. That which you focus on, you give energy to. If you focus on the terrible things that happen, then they rise up with even greater strength to overtake you. But as you focus on Jesus as your present guide, your good shepherd, he's the one who through the Holy Spirit now, you've accessed his goodness and you're flowing with him in his wisdom. Or to put it this way, own, that's that word again, own who you are in Christ. Own who you are in Christ in the Father. And and recognize He is good Father. And I am His child. So I do not allow people to manipulate me, circumstances to contradict me. What is happening to me to throw me down. I own the fact I'm the child of the good father and he cannot leave me. He cannot forsake me. And as I own it, then I can just shake off all the circumstances and the people who are trying to tell me that they have the truth about God. No. Nor nor can you say of people and things, well, they make me afraid. They make me angry. No, they can't make you. If If they do, you choose to let them own who you are. You are a child of the good God who in the middle of this nightmare is the giver of good gifts. Good gifts. He's working in you, through you, in spite of what humans have done and are doing. Do you remember Joseph? Boy, there's a story, isn't it? You know that story. Raised a... Boy, he was the late one on the scene. All his brothers were well ahead of him, long ahead. He was the baby, baby, baby of the multiple family. And they didn't like him. Do you remember that? He had those dreams. And then his brothers, his brothers sold him into slavery. You remember that? They wanted to get rid of him and they did a good job. Sold him for 30 pieces of silver and he's gone, gone. Sold to an Egyptian master. And then the master's wife, she, she framed him because she couldn't get away with him. And he's thrown into jail. I mean, could anything be worse? And he wrote his own journal, which became part of the book of Genesis. Uh, And there, at the end of the book of Genesis, you can read it. And as he gives this horrendous story of human trafficking, of which he was right in the middle of it with the chains on his hands, and, and he writes, And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. That is, he refused to be defined by his circumstances. 
He refused to anchor his life to passing disasters. He looked through life and says, the Lord who is good is with me. He never forsakes me and he is working out my life for his good. And when it was all over and he's taken literally out of the cell of rotting filth, an Egyptian jail, and just given a bath and presented to the Pharaoh and he's made second prime minister of the world. And he saved the world from starvation. And those brothers, they come crawling in. They don't know that this is their brother they sold into slavery. No, this is the great Egyptian potentate, the one who's saving the world, and they're flat on their face before him, begging for some bread to take home. And Joseph looks at them and rip, my brothers, who would have thought? Ha, my brothers. And when it was all over, his brothers are terrified now. They say, why, well, Joseph has become all-powerful in the world. He's going to kill us all for what we did and he calls them in and Joseph said to them as they're cowering before him he said as for you you meant evil against me Uh aha see he knows where evil comes from not from God from these brothers but God meant it what's that God took your evil against me, your strategy, your meant to do me evil. God, he, God had his own meant, his own strategy and agenda and purpose. God meant it, that is, he meant what you planned, he meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Did you hear that? He went through a nightmare for decades. And he says, yeah, my brothers meant this, and they meant it for evil. So did the uh, servant, the, uh, the man who bought me as his slave, and so did his wife, and so... Yes, all the people along the line that had contributed to this nightmare, they meant it for evil. But he kept focusing on the God who is good, and he said, he took what you meant for evil, and he, in his glorious magic, (laughs) he meant it for good. He turned it around. He changed all your plans and made them for good. So he said to his brothers, don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. You'll get on my payroll. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's probably the most amazing thing. But you see, that's what happens. When you see God is good, and when you see his goodness in your worst days, you have a foundation upon which to forgive those who hurt you, even to bless them. This is the the good. And maybe in the middle of all of that, This is the time, as at the beginning of the passage we read, where he said, ask and you'll receive. This is the time to ask the Father, what goodness do you want to be to me right now? What aspect of your goodness do you want to reveal to me at this time in this situation? And be still. And you'll find out. What good do you want to give to me right now? What good do I need at this moment? He will. He will. It's not just a matter of, oh God, get me out of here. No, that, that kind of misses it. 
What, what good does God want to reveal himself? What track record does he want to engrave into your life so that you will know as you've never known before but shall know now for the ages of ages that God is good? What is it? Ask him. See, because every situation brings revelations of goodness, strengths of goodness. And I'll finish with Psalm 27. You know this, but maybe in the light of the last hour, maybe makes a lot more difference now. Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired. That's one of those words, isn't it? Despaired. The word of the darkness and the hopelessness. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, wait. Be in tiptoe expectancy in this now moment. Wait for this goodness of the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on tiptoe of expectancy. Take this goodness that flows now in your life. And now the blessing, the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be in you and with you, ahead of you, behind you, and under you, that your life may be filled with goodness, the goodness that is the very presence of God and cause you to walk in strength and joy and peace in every hour of your life. So I bless you, and so it is.